electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the stormy NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it is Bitcoin salvation. Bitcoin finally breaking back above 7,000 for the first time in what feels like forever for loyal hodlers. And raging Bitcoin bull Tom Lee has one chart that shows the next stop is the moon. He'll be here to explain. Plus, do the right thing. That is the first sentence in Tesla's code of conduct. Or CEO Elon Musk's Twitter trades, a direct violation of his own policy. CNBC's Leslie Picker has a special report that is sure to raise some eyebrows out there. But first, we start Stranger Things, talking about Netflix. After a brutal sell-off that saw Netflix down as much as 14% in the after-hour session last night, the stock reclaimed most of the losses, ended the day lower by just 5%. And with that move, the Nasdaq and the tech sector hitting an all-time high today. So... Is this just further proof that you just can't bet against big tech in this once-in-a-generation rally? Guy. Last night, I thought after those Netflix numbers, I thought for sure Netflix would trade down to that, you know, 305 level, basically the level that it broke out from in April when they reported a great quarter and then raised guidance for this quarter. And we got down to 340 or something. If you told me the the stock would close where it closed, I'd be like, there's absolutely no way. That quarter, in my opinion, gave shorts every reason to lean into it or gave people that have been long the stock every reason to take profits. Forget about it. You want to talk about domestic ads? That's fine. Even international ads missed, and it yep. missed for the first time in a long time. And it didn't miss by a couple thousand. It missed by about half a million. That, to me, was a significant number. I find it shocking that it came back like it did. It's the market telling you, basically, the Netflix model isn't broken. It's just a one-quarter thing. I'm not certain of that, by the way, and I've been pretty steadfast. But you can't deny the price action. It was pretty incredible. And the Q3 guide was also weak. So it wasn't just a miss in the second quarter. Right. So why do you think people are still so bullish? If you want growth, if you want uh-huh. performance in the marketplace, you go to a handful of names. Netflix has been one of those names that you go to. I, I like Guy, was shocked that it had uh, an extreme recovery, but I did think it was going to cut in half its losses. I thought it might have gone green and then traded off again, but if you really want growth, you have to go here. The gun is to your head. You need these bulge bracket tech names, and this is where you have to go for growth. That sounds like a terrible reason to be in a stock. Well, so. yeah, well <laughs> the way I phrased it, the way I phrased it wasn't the but greatest. But it's worked out so far. Yeah. Right, that's true. That's true. Very nicely. Yeah. Uh, well, look, for Netflix, this is a company that was priced to perfection. So ultimately, I, I still think Netflix, uh, despite this heroic rally back today, is a stock that's priced to perfection. And I do, you know, I'm not going to dispute the growth over value argument for the market. In fact, I think that's actually a very strong one. I think in Netflix case, we're, we're, we're forget the fact that these guys are delivering on the content side and they're delivering on even the, the new subs, uh, albeit slower yesterday. As far as I'm concerned, you have to price in competition. Everything we've been talking about in the media sector for the last two months is exactly why I'm worried about Netflix. We had a number of all-time highs, though, in today's session. I mean, Amazon, Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook. I I really was not expecting that at all. You know, we talked yesterday about the ETFization of of that space, and I really expected to see a a sell-off there. Uh, Google's my biggest position. I'm happy about that. We'll see if it should if it should be trading here when they report next week. But 
I think what, you know, Netflix started to sort of find some sort of bottom. I thought we'd see more wholesale uh, downgrades. And we didn't. In fact, we saw a few now's your opportunities. Right, upgrades, yeah. And so that sort of created the floor for the stock. And then you had Powell come on, and he was somewhat dovish, as well as talking about trade policy and how those with, those with tariffs don't do well. And maybe that maybe his voice has some sway. But this should this should convince people. We've had this argument over well whether Powell being more dovish is actually a bullish thing. Right. When Powell was dovish today, the markets screamed higher. So you can say whether it was Netflix, but they both happened at the same time. So Netflix ran, but I think it definitely was Powell taking the lead there on a more dovish stance, the for now or the slow and steady versus these aggressive, methodic. Yeah. Rate hikes. Look, I, I don't. I, Netflix was not leading the market today. Let's be clear. I mean, triple Qs have outperformed the S and P by seven percent since the market's peak. Tech has been outperforming. There's no question about that. As far as Netflix goes, I'm not really surprised that the analyst community is scared to be more cynical on Netflix at this point because these guys have been so wrong over the last couple of years. I mean, let's face it. And, and I've been wrong. I mean, I think a lot of people have been talking about this company in a way that the valuation was not sustainable. There's no way guys come in after this and, and downgrade the stock. But tech overall, every one of the leaders, if you look at even the electronic arts or the right. gaming sector, uh, the, the semis were up 1.5% today. Semis have bounced heroically off the 200 today. They are arguably the reason why the market's been going higher, and I think it continues to. I mean, it was a broad-based rally in Absolutely. tech. Let's be clear about that. It wasn't just a turnaround in Netflix. But if you add to that um, a path that Powell lays forth, which is effectively the same path that we thought that we were on before, does that give us the recipe to be in the same trades that have been working? all year I, I'm not well in the short term I think yes I mean his comments today absolutely gave the market some air cover for sure but you know we, we talk about a flattening yield curve like it doesn't make a difference anymore the speed with which it's gotten down to 25 basis points to me is pretty staggering and I know Tony Dwyer will say you have 12 to 18 months of sort of runway for the market to continue to go higher I'm not certain that's the case anymore but in terms of value growth you know we talk about value stocks I mean Microsoft which we've I think we've all been pretty bullish on and steadfast they report on the 19 that stock's now trading close to 27 times forward earnings with an EPS. Even if, listen, even if they raise their, their EPS growth is nowhere in the ballpark. So even, grow, even value stocks, to me, are becoming a little expensive. That, to me, is a concern. The fact that the market didn't sell off today off the back of Netflix with every conceivable reason, not least of which was you can talk about the faux pas in Helsinki yesterday. market doesn't seem to care about anything right now. That's right. And, they don't, and the, to your point, they don't care about the yield curve. They don't. So why should we care about the yield curve? Why is everybody bring up because the, yield the curve? banks don't why care about the Fed put forth a paper that says don't fear the yield curve, and we're all fretting about the yield Look, curve. Look, there's no way Powell's going to talk about the yield curve. Okay, there's no way Powell's going to say anything in terms of trade wars uh, or tariffs uh, until he has to. You've got a Fed meeting. Uh, the next time they're probably going to hike is September. I don't think he needs to commit himself to anything before then. And, and ultimately, if I look at the rest he of the really market, he really spoke about it a little bit today, though. But he but he did talk about it. He, he, he said, said we'll wait and see. To it. He'll say we'll wait and see. But but less tariffs are better. Better than more tariffs. I, I think he did say that. So he has spoken about it. He's going to be adaptive. He's going to be flexible. And that's what the Bulls wanted to hear by the tape that we saw today. All right. Our next guest has been warning investors to sell technology. He joins us now on set. So let's welcome Mike Wilson, the chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley. Um, I would imagine, Mike, that people aren't too receptive to this idea of selling technology right now with the <laughs> Nasdaq at a record high. How does that call feel? in your gut right now. Yeah, when you insult people's kids, they don't take it too well. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the call went over like a bag of rocks last week, uh, notably. Um, I, I, I'll, I won't lie, I was watching Home Run Derby last night, 
had that's, a few. That's a bag of rocks. Had a, had a few, had a few yeah, beers right, and uh, felt pretty good about the Netflix. Uh, maybe this is it. Uh, of course, as you all were just talking, we had a roaring comeback. Now, the stock was still down 5%. So I'm not, I wouldn't say that it's you know, clear sailing. Now, it did hold the 50-day and all that. The te- technicians will, will love that. Look, our call, is very, our call is hated because we don't have a smoking gun. I'm not calling for 10 Netflix to happen, right? Missed quarters. All we're calling for is an exhaustion of this move, right? This year, we've had a rolling bear market. I mean, it's gone through every sector except two, tech and consumer discretionary. Every sector is corrected in multiples by somewhere between 15 and 30%. Tech and consumer discretionary are flat on multiples. Now, yeah, they're growing faster, but that does not seem like a, an outcome that's possible, that we, we have to complete this rolling bear market, and we think it'll happen during this quarter and into August. You start getting concerned, though. I mean, what seemed like a, a, you know, a catalyst to sell technology, the Netflix miss, not just in the quarter that they reported, but in the future, the quarter that we are in, yeah. had every opportunity, you had every opportunity right here to say, you know what, for Fang in general, I'm worried about all these names that are similar to Netflix that had massive runs that may be high on valuation, and they didn't. It was Netflix that finished lower by 5% and not the rest of Fang. Um, does that make you rethink? If you had known that would have happened, would you have engaged in that underway technology? Because that seems like that would have yeah. been a major catalyst for your call. It, it would have been. I'm, I'm not throwing the towel here because yeah. I think we're still, we have technical levels we have to get through on the broader market that we haven't yet. And we haven't even begun earnings season, let's be honest. What I'm looking for is actually companies to beat numbers and then the stock to sell off. To me, that's a worse sign, exhaustion signals. Right. So Netflix, they'll come back to that if they really want to sell. They'll come back to it and sell it later. By the way, this is a tactical call. Right. This is a tactical call from the beginning of the year, which we started out this year saying we were going to have a corrective action on multiples. We've had that. And this is the final piece. So once we get to these two sectors and they root them out on valuation, I think we set up for a pretty good finish, quite frankly. So, Mike, to that point, us on the desk, we have the luxury of being able to change and be flexible on a daily basis, sometimes an hourly basis, and see the market change. I don't change on a daily basis. Well, you should. You should, actually. When you're wrong, you don't change. I don't. That is correct. So when you look back in the beginning of the year, you had this tactical call. And when you started to second-guess yourself or – Sometimes when you second guess yourself, how long does it take you to change in the machine that you're within? Yeah. How long can you change it? Your mind right now, if you decided to get bullish on technology, how long would it take? Well, in this case, it'll be quick. And we made the call a week and a half ago. We said, look, we're going to know pretty quickly. And we knew we were early. We thought we'd rally into the quarter into the quarter earnings reports. And we said 2800 to 2825 is a good zone to think about where we could exhaust. So if we get well beyond that, say 2850, we'll throw in the towel. We're talking about 2% upside from here where we'll throw in the towel. So we're gonna, this is a short leash call, okay? I still feel good about it, to tell you the truth. I actually, I actually like it because the receptivity to it was, I mean, it was, there was no receptivity to it. Yeah, I'm not asking to play stock market with individual names, but we mentioned Microsoft, yeah. they reported. I mean, again, I think it's gotten, it's gotten a tad expensive. I mean, yeah. they don't have the growth rate, in my opinion, to justify a 27 multiple. Will that be sort of a typical bellwether name or a name you'll look at, we got this right, or maybe we got to reevaluate. Yeah, so Microsoft, it's on our fresh money buy list. It's our focus list of stocks, and it's done really well, as everybody knows. Um, there's nothing wrong with the fundamentals, but, yeah, it's gotten expensive. I mean, it's, it's, it's 27 times for an $800 billion market cap company that's not growing as fast as some of these Internet companies, right? It's much more mature. So absolutely. And all we're talking about is a 10 to 15% multiple contraction. That can happen in a week in some of these names. So that's exactly the kind of stock that could get reset. By the way, if that happened, we'd want to buy it. Mm-hmm. But we think that reset needs to happen. All right, Mike, good to see you. Thank, Thank you, you for, Melissa. Uh, for coming by. Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley. 
Um, when you take a look at tech in general, do you think it's overvalued? Well, that's the thing. I don't think it's all one monolith of valuation, sure, yeah. right? If you look at a Netflix, that's just, I, I can't get comfortable with that valuation. But if you, I look at an Alphabet, I'm very comfortable with that valuation. In fact, I think it's a, I think it's a value stock and a growth stock. So we'll see next week. But And same for Facebook. Similar valuation is compelling. And what's tricky about how we look at these companies, especially within Fang, I mean, you know, Amazon, what is it? You know, is it a tech company? Is it a consumer staples company? I mean, their move into, into Whole Foods is about being in, into consumables and basically uh, short-term consumer staples, low-margin goods. Um, Apple, arguably, is a great consumer discretionary place. So ultimately, you know, my view on tech here is it's going to continue to outperform because I think it's actually very diversified. If you look at the triple Qs, I mean, Apple are the biggest weighting in there. Uh, and I think Apple's actually very cheap relative to its peer group. So um, today's move is, is constructive to me. Um, I think the Fed is the most important ingredient in this market. And Jerome Powell today was moderate enough that people feel better. What'd you do today, Grasso? So I, I, I was going to pull the trigger on Netflix, but it violates my three-day rule. So I have to wait a couple of days there. But what I did notice were the home builders, which I'm long still in that home builder space. If it, uh, Chairman Powell starts to get even more dovish or he's just dovish enough right now, you're going to see that home builder space start to rip higher. Okay. I thought it was interesting that Tenant Health was up almost 2% today. Not that they're similar, but UNH was down big. Tenant Health rallied. Maybe Tenant Health sets up pretty well. I think we did. What do they call that thing when I go over to the, the board? and we Fast pitch, guys. Power pitch, we right? Do we do it every time. Pitched. We're going to power we do, pitch we do it today. Once a week. I think Steve is going to power pitch today. It's going to be yeah. good. At any rate, yeah. THC performed well on what I thought was, should have been a down day for them. All right, coming up, Bitcoin soaring through 7,000 to its highest level in more than a month. And top strategist Tom Lee will join us with one chart that he says shows the moon could be near. Plus, as stocks make a run toward the highs, there's a handful of well-known names getting left in the dust. But are any of them worth a buy? The traders will go bottom fishing. And did Elon Musk violate his own company's policies when he went rogue on Twitter? Leslie Picker has been doing some digging and has an exclusive report that she will share just after this break. We are live at the Nasdaq market site in a stormy Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. At this point, we've gotten used to the weekend Twitter barrages that Elon Musk has been putting out over the last few months. But in addition to shocking the public, he may also have broken some company rules. Leslie Pickers got the details. Leslie. Hey, Melissa. Elon Musk is not afraid to share his opinion and sound off on Twitter. And some of his more controversial tweets have impacted the stock price. Remember the bankrupt April Fool's Day joke? Well, the question is, while the board has not done anything publicly to really rein him in, are they active behind the scenes to muzzle Musk? And what is their responsibility to do so? Well, I spoke to a few lawyer contacts who pointed to the board's fiduciary duty, warning they could be at risk for negligent supervision and failing to manage Musk's social media outbursts. Most recently, Musk faced a public backlash after attacking one of the drive divers involved in the rescue operation from the Thai 
nearby cave, calling him a, quote, pedo guy, insinuating that he was a pedophile. That tweet has since been deleted. But Mel, I want to draw your attention to Tesla's code of conduct, because any breach of that could empower the board to take action. Section 7 states as follows, quote, please be aware that discrimination and harassment may take any form, verbal, physical, or visual, and includes slang or joking in ways that may be offensive to others as well as bullying. It goes on to say Tesla insists that you do what you can to stop others from engaging in such behavior and prohibits retaliation against anyone who makes a good faith complaint or participates in an investigation of such a complaint. For a company like Tesla, whose brand is so closely tied to Musk, it's important for investors to keep a close eye on these issues. We reached out to Tesla earlier for comment and have not heard back. Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker, back at headquarters. Very interesting in terms of the violation of the code of conduct. We should note that there are a lot of Tesla supporters. This is not just a bull bear sort of story. Even the most ardent bulls out there for Tesla, they do not condone this behavior. Uh, Gene Munster of Loop Ventures was just on the closing bell. He wrote an open letter to Elon Musk in which he says, quote, your behavior is feeling an unhelpful perception of your leadership, thin-skinned and short-tempered. He goes on to say, uh, I hope you'll consider the opinion of supporters and do your best to improve. As for the board, this is another interesting wrinkle in this whole thing. Remember back in May, CTW launched uh, an effort to have three board directors removed, Antonio Gracias, James Murdoch, and Elon Musk's brother, Kimball Musk. That failed. They were reelected to the board. But this sort of brings back in question, what is this board doing? Is this board maybe too close to Elon Musk? And so we'll then look the other way. I think, yeah. They will. But, I mean, what is the board's duty? The board's duty primarily, their number one duty is to choose a CEO, right? So, but I th clearly, I think, just as an investor out there, you, you want a different kind of CEO in their public response. But he owns 19. What, 20 something? 19, 20% of the company. He is the face, the voice, the vision, everything. It might as well be a voting class share. It isn't, but it might as well be. So for any investor that owns Tesla, if you're not aware that Elon Musk could kind of go off the rails and do whatever he wants, shame on you for not knowing that. You have to accept that risk because the board is unlikely to be able to rein him in. What is the bigger risk to the stock? Elon Musk, Musk stepping down or Elon Musk going on, on another Twitter rant? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think it's him stepping, stepping down. down. Stepping down. Yeah. 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 I mean, exactly. There's your answer, right? That, that is entirely <laughs> the answer. And listen, I got to be consistent. Last night I said it, it concerned me that Tesla's been making a series of lower highs. Obviously, it was up today. Again, in my face, not unlike Netflix. But I still think you're going to retest that 280 level. Listen, the cat you've seen the catalyst. You know, they're talking about that 500,000 car a year factory in China in a couple of years. That's out there as well. So, most of the positive catalysts, in my opinion, are out there. Now the negative catalysts are Mr. Musk and what he's going to do on the, on the Twitterverse. Too. We're still waiting on profitability. I'm still long the stock. Mm -hmm. I've been long below uh, 300. I'm hoping it doesn't retest that 280 level. Uh, you're never shocked at any of the volatility in here. But definitively, if he left, this stock craters. This would be cut in half easily pre-market or post-market, whenever that news would break. So you sort of want to keep them there. And the board, to Karen's point, is not going to do a whole heck of a lot uh, in trying to rein him in. Of course, you don't want to see these tweets as a shareholder, but they are being bought. Even even well, after they're losing some of those headwinds. But why does there need to be this one one two steps back, one step forward when it comes to the stock? I mean, on Monday yeah, so the stock lost about two billion dollars in market cap based on this Twitter rant over the weekend. I, I, 
not necessary. Not surprisingly, you know, my view on this is it's not smart. It does show he's thin-skinned. There's a lot more to focus on for the CEO. And and I'm why do you why do you bother? It does show someone that's overly emotional. That's part of the reason why people love Tesla. But here's the the bigger issue for investors. The bottom line is this stock has done absolutely nothing uh, in terms of it's annualized at about eight percent in the last four years or three and a half years. Now I could cherry pick the spots and you can say, oh, but it had a forty percent move here and there. But the point is, if you've missed those spots and you've been a long-term investor in the stock, you really have totally underperformed the tech world for the last three years. And isn't this a tech stock? So, look, I get that this is a great idea. I get that they're out, maybe now finally starting to execute on their, their volume numbers. But, in fact, to me, this is the real crisis now. I think they've mitigated a lot of their technology risks. I think the execution risks on some level are lower. But the competition, the competitive landscape gets worse and worse as they have to ramp up. All right. Still ahead. It is raining here in New York City. Oh, please, do we have to? <laughs> it's don't worry, though. A little rain can't stop the men and women on this desk from doing a little bottom fishing. That's coming up next. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Grosso is bringing the heat, pitching one tech stock that's up 30% in just two months. He'll give you the name. Plus, that's how Bitcoin hodlers felt today as the digital currency surged 10%. And Bitcoin Uber bull Tom Lee says it's just the start of more gains. He'll explain why when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Could we finally be back at the pearly gates of Bitcoin heaven? The cryptocurrency is surging more than 9% today, breaking above 7,000 for its best day in three months. Let's get to Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange for more on what was behind this move. Hi, Bob. A little bit of good news. Finally, Melissa, Bitcoin, which had been struggling at the $6,800 level for over a month, popped over $7,000 in just seconds in the middle of the day. So here's the news. MasterCard has published a document outlining how they may try to speed up cryptocurrency transactions by linking accounts holding both fiat currency and cryptocurrencies. So this document, which is published by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, so it's a serious document, notes that it often takes a significant amount of time, 10 minutes is typical, for a blockchain-based transaction to be processed. But that fiat payment transactions can be done in nanoseconds. Okay, we all know that. This wide difference, though, puts payments using cryptocurrencies at a big disadvantage. So merchants are wary about accepting blockchain currency, and individuals may also have trouble proving their identity and ownership of a wallet. All right, so what is MasterCard proposing? They want to offer a new type of user account that would allow a user to do transactions using cryptocurrencies but peg to a fiat currency, presumably their credit. 
this transaction would use the payment system and the security features, presumably MasterCard's features, but the transaction would be done in cryptocurrencies. Now, this document also notes that this may take cryptocurrency payments may make them more secure because MasterCard may be able to use its existing risk algorithms to evaluate the potential for fraud. Algorithms that are not currently available to blockchain networks. Now, this is the first decent piece of news for cryptocurrencies in a while and even led to a modest pop in volume for Bitcoin. All right, maybe it's not the end or the beginning of the turnaround, but it's certainly a good start. Back to you, Melissa. It sounds like, uh, Bob, that MasterCard's proposing uh, like a stable coin. Yes. Um, essentially, what seems to be happening is they're offering to say, uh, OK, so I have a, a certain amount of credit available, say $10,000 right. that I can automatically use. I am going to essentially have another account which has cryptocurrency in it. They're going to pay it using crypto and currency, but guarantee essentially that it's backed by my my own account there. So if you send out a fraction of a bit, if you have one Bitcoin in your account, you send out a fraction of that, they essentially MasterCard will be guaranteeing, this is what it seems like, that the payment is made instantaneously oh, backed by my own credit in my account. Got it. Bob, thank you. Thanks for that explainer. And uh, we do want to draw your attention to a poll, a poll mm. from our sister show, Futures Now fabulous online sensation that discusses Bitcoin pretty much all the time. Now, earlier today, Futures Now asked Twitter if they thought Bitcoin would break above 7,000. That was when Bitcoin was trading just under 6,800 bucks. Well, more than 7,700 people voted. 70% said wow. no. Pretty cynical. So could all this pessimism be fueling part of this rally? Who better to ask than raging Bitcoin bull Tom Lee of Fundstrat, who joins us. He's over at the Plasma with two charts that he says could signal a Bitcoin moon boom. Hi, Tom. What are you looking at? Uh, well, I'm looking at a couple things. So want to mark this chart up. This is the 200-day moving average for Bitcoin. And that represents the average price roughly for the past year. And there's a gap here. Bitcoin is trading 30% um, below its 200-day moving average. It turns out that that's actually a pretty positive signal. And the reason it's a positive signal is that this has happened a few times um, since uh, 2009. The first time it happened is here, October 2011. And the second time it happened was December 2014. Why is that significant? Well, number one, um, Bitcoin bottomed within a month here. Oops, sorry, I drew that the wrong way. And it bottomed within a month here. But I think it tells us something even more important, not the next month. It's telling us that if you look forward the next six months, you're going to do pretty well owning Bitcoin here. So to us, the message is when Bitcoin's trading 30% below its 200-day, it's a, it's a huge bull signal because, one, we're ending the, nearing the end of a correction. But also, if you look forward six months, you're going to do pretty well owning Bitcoin. All right, Tom, why don't you come on over to the desk here? You don't put it up to a vote? No, Should not Tom anymore. Come over? I'm tired yes, of voting. No, you voted. Want to be a poll? Wait, wait, we're going to put up a poll to a guy? Vote. Come on. Thanks, Good. Michelle, for bringing the chair over. Hey, Tom, just Hello. saying. How are you? Great to see Some you. Gummy bears? <laughs> it, looks like um, a, it looks like the flag. Let's, let's get back to Bitcoin, aside from the gummy bears that we have every day here on set. Um, so when you heard the MasterCard news, Tom, did you think that that would be a major catalyst, or did you think that it was really the technicals that started, you know, um, acting? Well, over the weekend, there were quite a lot of folks who were talking about TA and the potential formation of either an inverse head and shoulders or a Wyckoff, you know, buy-off. So it sounds like the technicals were really 
starting to become more favorable. I think something like the MasterCard news is positive because it, it's really validating the idea that digital money or blockchain-based money is, is a valid form of transactions. And you know, even if it's not recognized in the US, we know that in Japan, they've really taken a much more positive view on digital money or blockchain-based money being real transactions. So yes, it's good news. So when you um, outlined those times when Bitcoin was trading 30% below the 200-day moving average, what was the average move higher to the next sort of plateau? Uh, well, one thing that we outlined in our note on that is if you looked at your probability of making money six months out, it was close to 100%. So in other words, if you could ever buy Bitcoin 30% below its 200-day moving average, you almost always saw good risk-reward being long. At what point, though? How long did you have to wait into that trade? Because if I look back on the uh, Bitcoin chart, in the, you know, in the early part of this ascension, you could have could have sat underwater there for what seems I, like a fair amount of yeah, time. Yeah, so what I'm saying is six months. So if you, if you said... Buy it and sell it six months later. Your probability of making money was over 90%. Within six months, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Tom, do you think there's a lot of money out there that would rather buy Bitcoin at 7,500 than 6,000, just feeling like, you know, the, the bottom's been tested? And more uh, yeah, uh, there's, I guess the term people use is reflexivity. There's a lot of reflexivity in crypto, meaning there's a lot more enthusiasm when Bitcoin's trend is higher. And so I think there's a lot more buyers at 20,000 than there are at, 6,000, and there's probably more at 7,500, but there'll be more at 10,000. Does the same hold true when Bitcoin's 30% above the 200-day moving? Or does that become a sell signal, not unlike what you're seeing on the buy side? Yeah. Here? Uh, so, Guy, one of the sort of offshoots of that is, is actually the Bitcoin Misery Index. And it turns out whenever that hits 67, that has marked Bitcoin's essential top. And so that, you know, we hit 67 in, in December. So... All right, Tom, good to see you. Thank you. Yeah, great to see Tom you. Tom Lee of Fundstrat. If you love Bitcoin, there's only one place to go, and that's the Delivering Alpha Conference. It takes place tomorrow in New York City. Circle CEO Jeremy Allaire and Digital Currency Group CEO Barry Silbert will join me in a very special panel. There's still time to buy your tickets, so you, it's just, you can't buy them in Bitcoin, unfortunately. Uh, just that makes fiat. sense. Just How fiat, about but still, it's worth coming to. Come on, check out the tickets. All right, still ahead, a major executive change at chip company Texas Instruments. That broke just moments ago. The stock is down in the after hours. We'll bring you the very latest behind the story. Plus, Ross has made his way over to the plasma, getting ready to pitch that one stock. He says investors should snap up through the rest <laughs> of the year. Intense. Get it? Snap up? All right, the name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in May, Grasso stepped up to the plate to pitch Lennar. Lumber prices were a headwind. Everyone told you it was a headwind. Basically, the last couple of months, the lumber prices have come in. Specifically, this month, lumber prices are down 10%. EPS is on the rise as far as guidance going forward for Lennar, and the stock price is down 30% recently. That's why it's a buy. Since that call, Lennar has rallied about 8%. So, Grasso, what do you do with Lennar now? So, I still think you hold it, and I still think you could actually buy it here. I'm long it still. Mm -hmm. So, we talked about lumber prices in that, in that intro. Lumber prices have fallen another 10%. So, they're down 20% since that original point. If you go back to where they were 20% higher, Lennar was trading 20% higher. Oh. So, you have a good chance of, of accruing another 15 to 20% in the stock price if you bought it right now. All right. Well, Lennar was a home run, so let's get another pitch, Gross. I want you to step up to the plate. So sure. That. So, if Lennar was a home run, and by the way, I, I lost on Lennar. 
So when you we went Tony to the Tony Braxton, Braxton yes, yeah, yeah. I lost to Lenore. I don't think He's I've ever won, here a lot. Quite, quite frankly. So I, I don't <laughs> expect God. to win this time, but it is snap. Everyone feels it's very divisive. So either you're a bull or you're a bear. But you cannot take away that there's still the top challenger to Instagram. It's Instagram's world. Everyone else is just trying to live within that world. But what, how do they get paid? Ad spending. Ad spending is trending higher. So they're trying to broaden the base. They're trying to scale ad spend. I think it's going to be a win. I think it's going to be a tailwind, even though it's been a headwind as of recently. This has been what's killed the stock, the redesign. People who have left, and they were ma a mass amount of people who said they were leaving and they were never going back to Snap. They've all gone back, or I shouldn't say that. 90% of the people that left are back now. That's why this stock is going higher. If you look at a chart on the stock, you'll see that we are forming a base right here. So we're off the lows, forming a base. So you look back, everyone knows I love Fibonacci retracements. You have to look at the high, the low, and where are your retracements within this? So you look for the 50% and the 618. Those are your bounce levels. That's where you sell it. We're not even close to those yet. You have another probably 20, 25% in the name if you bought it today. Full disclosure, I'm already up 25%. I'm still long. I'm holding it. I think you have another 25% in the tank. It has a question. Hey, hey Steve, I, I think the technicals on Snap actually look interesting. But their, their Q1 numbers, they disappointed on revenues. They disappointed on all of their metrics on margins. They lost more, more money than they ever have. So back to the core business. I mean, what's, what's going to turn this thing around? Because ultimately... Uh, I don't see these guys gaining market share. DAUs were up 2%. Is that exciting? So I do think it is about gaining market share. But the reason why they were down on revenues was ads. And the, the reason why they were down on ads is that they went to a more progr programmatic uh, approach instead of direct sales. I think that will take a little bit of time. Hopefully, they're starting to gain a little traction there. And I think scale is the bigger question, not the actual revenue number. The street will give them a pass on that. This is not a company that you bought for revenues. All right, let me ask you something. You know I like valuations. Huh. What, what do they have to get to? I mean, the street's been disappointed on revenue. Dis I mean, you know, clearly they're losing a fair amount of money. That's okay. It's early. But what do, what do they have to show? I, I don't, Karen, it's going to sound a little cavalier when I say this. I don't think it matters because you also have Google who tried to do what they do. You also have Apple that might want to try to do what they do. I think there's a buyout market value on the stock. There's M&A that you could still look at that is a tailwind to the stock. So I know it sounds bad, but I don't think it matters. No more questions here. Time to vote. Are you buying Grasso's pitch on Snap? Let's go around the horn. Tim? No, I'm afraid I'm not. I, I, you know, I, I think it's an interesting idea. I think the, the social media space actually needs another bellwether. I think investors need to have more to invest there. But no, Snap is not the place I want to be investing, even though it was a very good pitch. Karen. Yes, I, I'm with Timmy. It's a pass. I didn't write that letter. It's, it's pass. Pass. Oh, yeah. very, very, well, But very I'd rather own Lenore. Right. I'd rather own Lenore. She could have been rejected. We've ever passed on a stock before. Okay. She passed. She's allowed to pass. Very nice. It's very, very gentle. Die. I'm not going to pass. I'm going to say snap. Just say yes. And that, well done, by the way, Steve. And this yes, is why well I say done. we find ourselves in an environment where it's very difficult to sell stocks and earnings. They report, I think, on August 6th. With the short interest, I think it trends higher into earnings, which is why I think Steve, uh, although he's a power pitcher, 
he hit the ball out of the park. It's nice. a bit, it doesn't make any uh, sense to me, but that's what we did. metaphors here, but, you know, you get what we're saying here. The desk is voted. Two sells, one buy. It's your turn out there, so would you buy Steve Grouse's pitch on Snap? You can vote in our Twitter poll, and we will review. Ooh, that doesn't look so good. Reveal the results later on the show. All right, plus, forget Amazon Prime Day because these stocks are on sale. Check out AT&T, IBM, L Brands, all near 52-week lows. Are they worth a buy? We'll find out right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, sitting near all-time highs, but a number of familiar names are sitting out the rally, hovering around one-year lows. So that begs the question, is now the best time to go bottom fishing? Here to reel in some of those names for us is the one and only Dom Chu. Hi, Dom. Well, Melissa, who wouldn't want to spend a nice little afternoon fishing? And some traders are fishing for deeper value stocks, perhaps some of the ones hovering near 52-week lows. There are around 30 stocks in the S&P that are within 5% of that respective mark. Now, they span different industries, each with its own set of reasons why it hasn't necessarily joined in in a market rally. You've got AT&T, which wants a deep dive into media content. It paid up big for Time Warner, only to face a government antitrust suit and then win it and now faces an appeal by those same regulators. Just some of the factors that have T-shares above about 3% above their recent lows. Then you got IBM, where Big Blue is working on trying to convince investors to stop singing the blues about revenue declines. CEO Ginny Rometty is working on increasing business in things like cloud computing and artificial intelligence-related applications. There's Carnival Cruise Lines. That stock has found some rough seas. It didn't help when it said last month that a rising dollar and rising fuel costs would put a damper on full-year profits. It's now just about 4% above recent lows. And then there's L Brands struggling to get more customer traffic through its stores, especially at Victoria's Secret. Those shares are now around 5% above their recent lows. From a valuation perspective, you're also talking about a slate of stocks like those four that now trade at a discount to their peers. And Melissa, that's just a sample of some of the stocks that have had a tough time as of late, but could be turnaround trades if things can get fixed. Back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, Dom Chu. Well, with these stocks uh, hovering so close to their 52-week lows, we thought we'd ask our traders to do a little bottom fishing with these yeah, It's names. a great day to fish. It's actually kind of stormy out there. So, so we've done this before, but just, you know, to review. We'll take AT&T as an example. We'll go around the horn. If the trader thinks it's a good catch, you will see this. Oh. If they think it's a dead fish, you'll see this. It. No sound effect, though. It's Very well. It's yeah. dead. It's dead. Uh, it doesn't yes. make any. Come on, Tim. So, <laughs> All right. So we're going to start with Karen, and we will okay. start with AT and T. All right. Is this a good catch or a dead fish? I'm going to go with the silent dead fish, and here's why. You know, you have a core business that is really under attack, right? And you have a big merger that's a lot of integration, which actually the integration is on hold while the government pursues an appeal. You have a lot of debt that went along with that. The only thing going in its favor aren't enough for me, big dividend and a low P.E., but you've got a lot of risk with this debt balance sheet, the business being under attack, the main business, and the new merger. It's a lot. I'd pass. Dead fish. 
See, this, this would be a dead fish if it was trading at 42 where it was, you know, a year ago. But to me, this is a great catch. Where's that sound effect with the lively fish? Flipper. That green one. <laughs> the green. Okay, it's gone. I don't think you're it's, allowed it's to, to do see. it. It's good, good catch. Bottom, good catch. Good there you go. Whatever. I mean, uh, you know, the on. bottom line is I would buy <laughs> AT&T, and here's why. I, I think they've been punished on both sides of this merger, going through or not going through. I realize the wireless space is an incredibly competitive business. I think they stole Time Warner on the basis of where media assets are being valued right now. And why can't these guys compete direct to consumer? Uh, I think they will. Let's move on. Let's do it. Please. L Brands. <laughs> Ooh. Good catch or dead fish, Tim Seymour. This is a great catch. I mean, mm. bottom line, wow. is this, this is, well, you I know, mean, if you could put not, two green fishes product, up, Tim. you would. Yeah. The stock. Look, I, it, basically, this is a story of two brands. You've got VS and you've got Bath & Body Works. Bath & Body Works has grown 10% in terms of their comps. They've actually turned it around. VS, Victoria's Secret, uh, despite the, the, the catalog, despite the calendar, whatever it is, it's not working. Um, this is, to me, a place where the comps are really getting easy for this company. But the valuation now, roughly, it's about 10 times on a trailing. But even on a forward where you've taken earnings from 4 bucks in 2016, they're probably going to be about 280 290 a share. This is 12, 13 times. It traded at 20 times. I like this stock here. This, I think it's fine. This has got to be a dead fish or dead catch or a catch that's <laughs> dead when you catch it. So they rely on So, so Timmy pointed out that right Hold street, on a second. Victoria, the now they is gave a toilet sound. Well, Victoria's Secrets brand, they rely 60% of their revenues are generated from there. So if that one suffers, the stock is going to continue to suffer. Down 46% year to date. You're reaching a cultural change where I don't know, and I can't speak you're from, not, from, from experience. Stuff? Can't speak from experience, but I think you're reaching a cultural change as to what women would rather wear. Maybe we should ask two of them. I, it would be more of an athleisure, <laughs> athleisure versus lingerie. I would stop talking about it. What women want to wear? It's down 46 <laughs> percent. Stock shareholders have spoken already. It's not knew. going anywhere. Who knew? I, I, so <laughs> earlier today, I thought this was my my okay. LB, yeah. and I was thinking, oh no way. Then I looked at it much more closely, and I. Completely agree with Tim on valuation. So you both could be wrong. We Great absolutely, cash. that happens often, <laughs> we're both wrong. But I think here, this is, a, this is a company that, I mean, it has a grand history of being a retailer. They know they are in a seriously different environment here. I think they'll get it together. And I think at this valuation, there's not a ton of risk. Mm. Let's move nice. on. Please. Nice. Carnival, good catch or dead fish? Oh, guys. it's, it's a, I think it's a great catch. And think of it, you're out on one of those cruise ships. You throw a line behind you, you might catch that green, ugly mm. fish. Are we on a budget or something of Fast Money? <laughs> Why? What's, what's wrong with that fish? They're holes in there. They didn't even color it's it like in the stamp. entire it's way. Like a, it's like a, sti- like those paint stamps. Speckled trout. I think it looks very authentic. Speckled trout. Anyway. if you go back and look at the quarter, their quarter was excellent. Their guidance scared a lot of people, but, you know, fuel costs, I think it's already in the stock. It's more expensive than RCL, trades at 12 times forward earnings, but you have a very compelling story in terms of their growth. So if I'm fishing, which I like to do despite the fact that I get seasick, which is why I'll never be on a carnival cruise. Oh, guy gets seasick. Mm. Adorable guy. (laughs) All right. Let's quickly move on here because we want to get to IBM. <laughs> IBM, good catch or dead fish, Grasso? This years ago was my secular bear stock, and I do believe that it's still in that classification. Stock is down year to date. If I'm going to play in the space, I'd rather go with an SAP. This one can't get out of its own way. No, it looks like a, a double top. It's a bear and a fish, and yeah, bears eat fish, fish okay. and sometimes they're dead when they eat. Um, all right, let's. Uh, <laughs> They do. Let's find out what the options market thinks of IBM (laughs) with a little options action. The company does report tomorrow. So, Mike Coe, what can we expect here? 
Yeah, so uh, I think the options market might agree with Steve on this one. Uh, normally, this thing moves about 4% on earnings. It is implying a slightly higher move of about 4.6%, but most of the activity actually was bearish, and the most active options were the August 140 puts. We saw over 2,900 of those trading for about $2.80. So those are options traders betting that the move of 4.6% is going to be to the downside. So. If I was looking at this, I, I probably also would agree with Steve and, and say I think it's probably dead money here. Dead money, dead fish. Dead ah. fish. Oh, even Mike Coe can't play the game right. All right, thanks for that, Mike. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, a major no. shift happening in the C-suite at Texas Instruments. That stock is lower by almost 2% after hours. We'll bring you the latest right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Josh Lipton. Big news at Texas Instruments. CEO Brian Crutcher is out as president and CEO and member of the TI board. The reason, violations of the company's code of conduct. The company saying in a statement, the violations are related to personal behavior that is not consistent with our ethics and core values, but not related to company strategy, operations, or financial reporting. The board named Rich Templeton, the company's chairman, to re assume the roles of president and CEO on an ongoing indefinite basis in addition to continuing as chairman. Templeton's appointment, the company is saying, is not temporary and the board is not searching for a replacement. TI also reported financial results, second quarter revenue, $4.02 billion, beating estimates and adjusted EPS of $1.37. If that compares, that would be a six-cent beat. TI will provide full second quarter results on July 24th. Bernstein, Stacy Rasgon telling me that he isn't too concerned with how this impacts the company. After all, Crutcher was only named onto the job and been effective since June 1st. Templeton, he says, is a longtime TI vet who is very well respected in the industry. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Josh Lipton. Uh, Crutcher had been at the company for 22 years, but the broader context of this, of course, is that within the semiconductor industry, this is the second CEO to be removed from his post for reasons of a violation of a sort of company policy, personal behavior, Brian Kurzanich over at Intel being the other one. So what do we make of this? What do you do? Well, what do you do with the stock is the yeah. question you're asking me. And the, it traded up to 120 and three quarters at the beginning of this year, traded back down to 100. We've recently made another push. They just gave preliminary guidance for the July 24th. I think it's when we're going to port quarter. If in my, it, This is the way I look at it. Potential for a huge double top. You have this headline now. Why buy the stock here when you can wait to earnings? I'd rather buy it on a breakout above 121 than to play stock market in the wake of these headlines now. All right. Up next, final trades. Do you know who is huge on Snap? Do you? Tony Braxton. Oh. For massive following is topped only by the number of times was it close? I unbreak my heart on this <laughs> show. Close? And that's because of the huge number of hate tweets. 75% said no. Oh, Steve Grasso's pitch. <laughs> Final trade time. <laughs> uh, the crying baby never gets old. I'll tell you what. L. Brandt doesn't get old. That's exactly <laughs> oh, right. I'm fine. I'm fine. Get in there. It's I like Aaron. I like those even here. Just over 100. Karen remembered. Grasso. Has to be snapped. Cleveland Cliff, CLF, going higher. All right. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. <laughs> This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.